hundreds of thousands of Polish protesters scream for eugenic abortions and succeed in stalling the government's attempt to ban abortion. Colorado votes to protect birthday abortions by voting against a 22-week abortion ban. Louisiana voters pass an amendment ensuring the state constitution will not protect the right to an abortion. American politics is all about abortion, but it is not politics that divides us. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. Welcome to Unaborted with Seth Gruber. Thank you for tuning in this Monday. Well, things have been quite crazy, obviously, with the election. All of this will have consequences for the pro-life movement. All of this will have consequences for the unborn children in our midst. But as we do not know the rec- the uh, results as of this recording, uh, we won't be going too much into that yet and what that means until uh, we know more and we have a very clear winner. But we do talk a lot about on the show exactly what the consequences would be of a Joe Biden, Kamala Harris political administration, which would be the most radical pro-abortion administration in American political history, endangering the unborn child like no other time in our country. We're going to talk maybe a little bit about the consequences of that today, but a lot of other events have been moving and shifting in America and abroad regarding uh, our unborn neighbor. So we're going to get to that. But first, if you haven't given the show rating and review yet, and you are a new listener, you've been enjoying listening, would you do that for us? We've actually been climbing up the charts uh, quite quickly in the news commentary section. That's that's the category that this podcast is in. And we've been climbing up quite quickly. We're now in the top 70 the other day within 60 or something like that for news commentary and politics. And so that's really great, especially because most people aren't going to tune into pro-life podcasts uh, of their own will. So showing up on those charts is going to get more strangers and people who aren't aware of this show to listen to it and maybe get their ideas challenged. So give us a rating and review. Let us know what you think. It really helps us out a lot. So Poland very recently in October moved to ban abortion, period, with basically no exceptions. Now, Poland has already had fairly restrictive abortion laws. And we'll get to that in a second. But they were trying to go even further and completely ban it. Now, Poland is a very Catholic country. There's a lot of DNA wrapped up in the Catholicism within the country. A lot of that has to do with them defeating communism in the 1980s. So it makes sense that this would come from the governmental level. However, the reaction of the public has not been positive whatsoever. And so the New York Times writing on November 4th says that the Constitutional Tribunal ruled on October 22nd that terminating pregnancies for fetal abnormalities, right, we have another word for that, eugenics, uh, which is only one of three justifications for legal abortions in Poland and virtually the only type performed in the country violated the Constitution. So Poland is a very Catholic country because of the strong ties between the Catholic Church and the Polish government. And a lot of this goes back to the late 70s and then throughout the 80s because the Catholic Church was pivotal in their role for leading the charge against defeating communism, which I believe fell in the late 1980s. And so because because of that, there's always been a very friendly relationship between the Catholic Church and the Polish government. So obviously Catholics being very pro-life and leading the charge in abolishing abortion all around the country. Uh, this makes sense. However, the public, the citizens of Poland were far from happy. I don't know the percentages of those who would be practicing Catholics within Poland, 
but a majority of Polish citizens are baptized as infants in the Catholic Church. But of course, you know, many Christians may say they pray to sinner's prayer at eight years old, but not be Christians as well. So, of course, that's not necessarily the litmus test for whether they're orthodox in their faith. On November 3rd, Poland's government has delayed implementation of their abortion ban after two weeks of the largest protests reportedly that the country has experienced since the 1989 collapse of communism. And it's quite clear that this was in apparent response to the protests. So this is pretty crazy. And this kind of goes to show the power of the public and of the people to make their voice heard in a democratic government. Now, Poland is not a constitutional republic, right? Of course, that's what makes America so incredibly wonderful and unique. But they are democratic. And it just goes to show the power that the people wield making their voice heard and demanding action or demanding the type of response that they want to see. Maybe there's something there for American Christians to learn from. But this is sort of ironic, isn't it? Because the country that defeated communism, and what does communism do? It, it, it claims to seek and enshrine equality, but it does that by denying human beings their natural rights, right? From each person from each person's uh, ability to each person's need, right? F I mean, force redistribu redistribution, but who's in charge of the redistribution? The people implementing communism who end up fat, happy, and rich, right? And so it's ironic that they rejected communism because it fails to adequately enshrine equality, primarily by abusing victims' natural rights, your natural right to liberty, to own your own work, right? And to not be robbed of the products of your work by a government who claims to care about you. But the irony is that that's why abortion's wrong. Abortion seeks to enshrine women's equality, right? Reproductive justice by trampling on the natural rights of individuals, unborn children, by denying them their first and most important of all rights, life. But unfortunately, uh, history is a brutal teacher and a teacher that we often close our ears to and refuse to listen to. And those who forget their history, as is very popular to say, are, of course, doomed to repeat it. By the way, here is a photo of the protest. I don't know from which day, from one of the 14 days of this protest. And just take a look at how many people are in the streets marching for the right of eugenic abortions, protesting their government's attempt to ban abortions. Man, if only Christians in America can mobilize against the genocide of baby image bearers like our opponents do to protect the right to kill babies. According to the New York Times article, in practice, most legal abortions in Poland, which they report were 1,100 performed in the country last year, only 1,074 of those 1,100 legal abortions resulted from fetal abnormalities. Sorry, not only. <laughs> 1,074, so nearly the full amount of the legal abortions performed in Poland last year were eugenic abortions. They were performed and sought after because something was wrong with the baby, right? Either from a mental development or physical development standpoint. But New York Times says, yet those abortions represent only a small fraction of those obtained by Polish women who seek terminations abroad or undergo risky illegal procedures. Right. So many women are choosing to circumvent the law, endanger their own lives in order to kill their preborn children illegally because Poland only allows for abortions in the case of rape, health of the mother and fetal abnormalities, again, which is eugenics, killing a baby purely because there's something wrong with it, meaning that the mother or father wouldn't have opted for the abortion if the baby had been, you know, chromosomally perfect or physically perfect. 
So they are marching and protesting strictly for eugenic abortions. That's it. Because all the other types of abortions were already illegal and almost the entire amount of legal abortions last year in Poland were eugenic abortions. That's what they're out there protesting and marching for. That's what they're angry over is being denied the legal right to eugenics, prenatal eugenics, which one could argue is kind of all abortions. But of course, in this case, eugenics means strictly discriminating against others based off of mental or physical fitness reasons. And eugenics fits into the long history of atheism, by the way. Right. We're going to kind of kind of talk about today how politics is abortion is political. It's become politicized, but it's really a religious issue at root. And eugenics is, has a long history in the history of atheism. And atheism is very much a religion, right, with a worldview that animates the individuals who adhere to it and their actions. So while Catholicism may be intertwined with the heritage of Poland, and their victory over communism, many of their people are quite obviously not Catholic. Catholics don't march for eugenics, okay? Catholics don't march for the killing of preborn children. Catholic Church has been very clear on their position on abortion, and many Orthodox priests who don't stray from the Catholic Church's teaching in order to receive political accolades will even go so far as to say you cannot be a Democrat and be Catholic because you cannot vote or lend political power to the party of abortion and infanticide. Now, of course, many people respond and object to us, right, when we make these points by saying, well, religion should stay out of politics. Those should have no relationship with one another. Right. They'll say that these are political issues that should be debated on purely political grounds. You can't bring religion into it. It's not religious at all. So it's a fool's errand to bring religion into it. And we have a separation of church and state. And so religiously motivated individuals who are pro-life ought to be prevented from trying to implement their positions into policy. But there is no such thing as a purely political disagreement. Okay. When people say, like, you can't legislate morality, all laws legislate morality. And the Christian worldview, the Judeo-Christian worldview, is really the only one that acknowledges an objective standard by which to make sense of morality or right and wrong. So there is no such thing as a purely political disagreement. All political discussions and disagreements come down to questions on the nature of truth, where truth, come where truth comes from, the view of the human person, the view of the soul. And these are religious questions. These are religious matters, right? Cardinal Henry Edward Manning, very popular for saying that all human conflict is ultimately theological. All conflict over land, over politics, comes down to theological and religious disputes. And by the way, there's a very selective application of the religion out of politics claim, isn't there? Because leftism is a religion, right? It's based on secular humanism and Gnostic dualism, which we'll get into in a little bit later. And no one tells the left who hold religious views, they're just not orthodox Judeo-Christian religions or worldviews, that they ought to keep their religion out of the public square. Of course, it's only people of a Judeo-Christian worldview that the left hates. But atheism is the de facto religion and worldview of the pro-choice mu movement. Sure, there's some people who claim that they're people of faith and they're pro-abortion, right? But that's just a label that they slap on their bigotry in order 
to be heard by more individuals in the public square, right? Nancy Pelosi calls herself a Catholic. Joe Biden calls himself a Catholic. Kamala Harris calls herself a person of faith, right? These people slap religion onto their bigotry in order to convince and persuade more people of their political persuasion. But these ideas are fundamentally atheistic, right? You can't just slap a religious label on an atheistic worldview that you live fully by and abide fully by and be a religious person. But people object, right? And they say, well, atheism isn't a religion or belief. It's not. They say it's, it's the non-belief in God, right? Atheists will say, I don't believe in anything. It's the absence of belief. It's not a belief. It's just nothing. But this silly claim that atheism isn't a religion or belief, that, that atheism doesn't claim to believe in anything, is ridiculous and falls apart the second you begin to question that premise. For example, firstly, it proves too much, right? If atheism is the absence of belief, if, if atheism is refusing to believe in God or not believing in God, then cats and rocks could be atheists, right? My cat, my dog doesn't believe in God. They don't have a belief in God. Rocks and plants don't have a belief in God. Are they atheists? No, of course not. Okay, so I guess the claim that atheists just have an absence of belief in God can't be true or else non-person, non-human things could be atheists. It's also a suspect claim because it makes the entire position meaningless. For example, if saying there is no God is not a claim or belief, then it becomes meaningless because only claims or beliefs are true or false, right? You don't say, is, is the color blue true? <laughs> is the color red true? That doesn't make any sense because I'm not making a claim. I'm, I'm asking a question about just a thing, a word, right? A color. It makes no sense. Only beliefs or claims can be true or false, so if atheism is not a claim or a belief, then it is simply meaningless. It's nothing. If the atheist wants to contend that atheism is true, which they all do, right? They say, no, atheism is true. Well, then that must mean that atheism is a claim because only claims can be true or false, in which case it must be defended. You must defend and give reasons to why you believe your claim to be true. And if you claim that it's not a claim, <laughs> which of course is self-refuting, then it doesn't mean anything. It's meaningless. But of course, they don't believe atheism is meaningless. They believe it has a lot of meaning and they want to live by it, right? It's a religious worldview. Furthermore, ideas have consequences, right? So if you say that atheism isn't a religion or belief, it's just, it's just denying the belief in God, denying the existence of God, then why are there such gnarly consequences to something that is not a belief? Why are people so animated and activated by atheism if it's not a belief, if it's meaningless? Atheism's belief that God is dead or there is no God, that actually has consequences, right? Because it denies the truths that flow from God's existence, such as that there's an objective standard by which we, all, we will all be judged. It denies the Christian worldview, Right, which says that human rights are grounded in the Imago Dei, that we're image bearers of God. So it makes us more infinitely valuable than any other form of life. But atheism denies all of those things. <laughs> the entire Christian worldview, it denies because it says that God doesn't exist. So therefore, the truths that flow from God's exist don't exist. But if that's the case, then how do pro-choice atheists even make the argument 
that abortion is a fundamental human right. Where does that right come from? Can't come from an objective being. You've denied that that objective being exists. You also deny that humans exist because you deny that there's a human nature. So how, how could objective rights flow from a human nature that you say don't exist? So, so you see the whole worldview and religion of atheism falls apart. So if atheism is true and we're just cosmic blobs, we're just atoms banging around in the universe, then what's the consequence of that? Well, Darwinianism. Darwinism is the natural consequence of atheism. It's the natural philosophical worldview, the utilitarian approach that you would implement if you adopt the premises of atheism, which is might makes right. Because there is no human nature that holds across time and place. There are no objective truths that hold across time and space. And there's no objective being from whom our rights come such that I should respect those rights. So then it's just a power struggle, right? It's just the survival of the fittest. Mike makes right in that standpoint. So look at all of the consequences of atheism and the ludicrous premises that follow from the claim that atheism is not a claim or a belief. It's just the denial of the existence of God. Now, why do I say all these things? Because these are purely religious ideas, right? We're, now we're talking about the nature of man, the nature of truth, the nature of the soul. Rights, where do they come from? Why should I respect you? Why should I not harm you, right? Why is, a, why is healthcare a human right? You don't believe humans exist because you deny that there's such things as a gender and boys and girls. So rights can't come from a human nature because you deny that a human nature is objective and exists. These are all the consequences that flow from atheism. And these are purely religious debates and ideas. But of course, we're told it's just a Judeo-Christian religion and worldview that should be kept out of politics. So all of these ideas are the things simmering under the debate over abortion. These are the things simmering under the tension in Poland over the right to kill babies for purely eugenic, eugenicist means and reasons. And one of the damning critiques of American Christianity today is that the other side will eagerly do for evil what we refuse to do for good. You've got hundreds of thousands of people for two weeks in the streets of Poland because Poland is threatening to take away what was last year 1,100 legal abortions, 1,074 of which murdered babies simply because they weren't chromosomally or physically perfect. So women were already getting purely convenience abortions for uh, through illegal means. But when the government steps in and says you can't kill babies, then it does become a religious debate. And those opposing the imposition of religion in the public square or in politics are themselves seeking to enshrine in politics – a religious worldview that they hold to religiously while denying that there is any type of religious premises that they hold to. Atheism is a religion. It has a worldview. It does have belief in something, namely the belief that there is no God and there's no rights that come from that God. So while atheistic activists will march in the hundreds of thousands for the right to prenatal eugenics and demand their government protect abortion, Christians can't be bothered to activate against late-term abortions and demand that our government, based on natural rights, protect the most vulnerable among us. And we're going to get to that next. But first, if you like the show and want to hear more great content and commentary from the front lines of the abortion wars, from the culture wars, to be equipped, encouraged 
to engage in this battlefield and be given the tools of thought to defend life. If you want to help us reach more people with these ideas, especially those who disagree with us, those who are on the fence, then consider becoming a patron of the show. You can go to patreon.com forward slash unaborted. And we have nine different tiers there with really fun perks I think you'll like. If you want more access to me, if you want to be able to put in a question for a video response, if you want to participate in our monthly private small group video chat and other perks that you'll get access through to through supporting the show. So go to patreon.com forward slash unaborted. And once we reach $1,000 a month, this will also enable us to begin producing regular, professionally produced, short pro-life videos aimed at people who disagree with us or who are on the fence through Facebook and YouTube and begin doing interactive content on the streets with people as well. So our podcast is growing a lot in its listenership. We're reaching more and more people through live events. And then this is the place where you come and get encouraged and equipped so that you can be more impactful and effective in the battle over protecting our unborn neighbors. So go to patreon.com forward slash unaborted and we'll be right back with a whole lot more. Welcome back to the show. So one of the most sobering critiques of American evangelicals and people of faith today is that atheistic activists who deny that there are any objective rights that flow from a human nature or from an objective eternal being are more motivated to protect abortion than people of faith are in America to prevent abortion and to fight against abortion. And we're seeing this a lot right now in our own country. We just had an election, of course. And so in Colorado, a proposition to ban 22-week-plus abortions failed by about a 40 to 60% margin, which is really horrific and sad, especially if you know the polling on Americans' opinions on abortion by trimester. So according to the Colorado Sun on November 3rd, a measure that would ban abortions in Colorado after 22 weeks of pregnancy, except in cases where the mother's life is at risk, failed Tuesday night. Both supporters and opponents of Proposition 115 had predicted a tight battle over what supporters of the ban call late-term abortion, but opponents declared victory about an hour after the polls closed. So Colorado is one of the only states in the country that allows abortion through point of birth. Okay, These are called birthday abortions. You can literally murder a baby on its first birthday, at, at least from a Chinese perspective, <laughs> celebrating birth or celebrating age rather from when conception occurs. Your actual birthday, right? Not necessarily your first birthday, but your actual first birthday when you're born and birthed. So you can have birthday abortions in the state of Colorado. This has been true for quite some time. And every state that touches Colorado has limits on abortion, I believe, around the 20-week or 22-week age of the child, which, by the way, is five and a half months old, okay? <laughs> I mean, these are babies who could survive outside the womb. So you may remember in President Trump's State of the Union address at the beginning of 2020, he highlighted a mother and her child, baby Ellie, I believe, who was born at 21 weeks and six days, right? And then we had a baby go home this spring— I think, shortly after COVID started, who was born in December of 2019 at 21 weeks and zero days. So we're saving babies at earlier and earlier stages than we ever have before, which is phenomenal, right? And calls into question sort of the premise of some pro-choice moderates 
who insist that abortion is wrong after the baby can survive outside the womb. But of course, pro-lifers ask the question, but we're enabling babies to survive outside the womb at earlier and earlier stages. So are you saying that your moral compass or opposition to abortion is purely dependent on external factors, external subjective factors, such as how developed our technology is that could save babies at earlier and earlier stages, right? I mean, it makes their entire position specious and blatantly ridiculous. But Colorado decides to shoot this down. And so they're going to continue killing babies through point of birth. And this is very strange because the polling simply does not support the fact that Colorado, Coloradans, shot down this bill and in so doing protected abortion through point of birth. The polling doesn't reflect this. The polling suggests that the majority of Americans are opposed to late-term abortions. So this would have been a 22-week abortion ban. That's the end of the second trimester. You're getting very close to the third trimester at that point, which most Americans are not on board with. In fact, 82% of Democrats and 94% of Republicans are not in favor of late-term abortions. (laughs) 82% of Democrats. Now, register Democrats, not the Democratic Party, which is the party of abortion and infanticide, meaning the electorate, the people registered as Democrats. So even Democratic Americans are not in support of this. And a a Gallup 2019 poll that we cite frequently on this show found that 13% of Americans support third trimester abortions. So just Americans writ large, regardless of political affiliation, 13% of Americans don't want third trimester abortions to be legal. They, or I'm sorry, only 13% of Americans support third trimester abortions. So 97%, 87% of Americans are opposed to third trimester abortions, right? So, I mean, that's incredible. That's really encouraging and would suggest that in a single state in Colorado, which is not as left wing in its politics as California and New York, right? It is on abortion, but it used to be a very conservative state. It's grown more liberal. It's grown more blue, right? It went to Trump. It went to Biden, rather. But the people in Colorado are much more conservative than in California or New York. So this simply doesn't make sense. And this has a lot to do with the abortion industry's reliance on the media to promote blatant lies about pro-life legislation. And we see this with the abortion industry all the time. They'll regularly lie about pro-life legislation and they will smear pro-life legislators as trying to sort of sneak in something that would eliminate abortion, right? Trying to subterfuge the abortion debate with a bill that has some hidden regulation on abortion that that is not explicitly clear in the bill, right? So they said this about the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act that was literally just an anti-infanticide bill. It did nothing to regulate abortion, the killing of babies in the womb, only the killing of babies outside the womb or neglecting to care for babies who survived botched abortions and are now born. But they made the argument that this is somehow going to take away a woman's right to choose. Choose what? Infanticide? The bill only stopped the killing or prevention of care for babies already born. But they craft these lies and myths all the time in order to scare pro-choice voters into voting for common sense abortion legislation, right? So the ballot question failed 40 to 60 percent. But again, while these are political disputes, while these are political disagreements, these are fundamentally the clashing of religious worldviews, right? All human conflict is ultimately theological. But sadly, the left is often more religiously motivated than Christians are, right? I think the abortion industry or abortion rights group spent about $7 million in Colorado in smear campaigns to attack Prop 115 
which says, can we not kill babies after the point that we know they can survive outside the womb? Late term abortions, 22 weeks and up. And yet a formerly conservative state that isn't radically left wing yet still voted against that. I think if we had a mainstream media with a shred of integrity, a shred of anything, a shred of anything that looks like objective journalism, then this bill would have been voted in, not unanimously, but certainly through a majority. But that's what the left has to do, right? Because their religious worldview suggests that abortion is the greatest sacrament, right? Religions have sacraments, right? For Catholics, there's a lot more than for Protestants, but certainly for Protestants, there's the Eucharist or communion and baptism. For the left, the greatest sacrament is abortion. And this runs in a long line of religious worldviews from the left, right? Their view on the soul, their view on the body, their obsession with sex. The left has always been obsessed with sex, right? And we're going to get to more of how kind of they view the human person in a very strange and spiritual manner. But ultimately, they don't view the body as all that much, right? They view the spirit and the soul as ultimate. So the body is just a shell that you can use however you want for satisfaction, for pleasure, right? And that this will, this will enable you to reach Gnosticism and a special spiritual worldview and belief and secret knowledge of the world, but they view the body as purely a shell, right? This is straight out of the sexual revolution. Doesn't matter how many people you sleep with. Whatever feels good, do it, right? Well, their obsession with sex has gone so far <laughs> that now the things that are reproduced through sex, babies, can simply be discarded and killed on the altar of sex, of the sexual revolution, of our sexual rights, reproductive health care. This is a fundamental clashing of religious Worldviews. Last month in D.C., in October, the Women's March gathered again. Thousands of people, by the way, most of them not wearing masks, which is ironic, right? They've been telling us that we have to wear masks and we don't have complete bodily autonomy. If in exercising our bodily autonomy, we harm or kill others. But of course, you're marching for the right to abortion, which suggests that bodily autonomy can be used to harm or kill others. But most people at this march were not even wearing masks. And of course, the media was silent on that killing granny or being a threat to the vulnerable among us, preborn children not included. But that march is almost always about abortion. You remember the first women's march, perhaps, right after Trump got elected in January of 2017. Most of the women were wearing vagina costumes or vagina hats, and most of the signs had purely to do with reproductive justice and healthcare. Abortion, right? Abortion is the greatest sacrament of the left's obsession with sex because it extends sexual rights to the elimination of the products of sex, right? The left has always been obsessed with this. It's a purely religious view. But where were the protests and marches against Colorado's decision to protect birthday abortions? None. So the left is sometimes more religiously devoted and committed to their ideals and to the sacrosanctity of abortion than Christians are motivated by their religious view of the sanctity of life. No marches, no Christians hitting the street in Colorado over the rejection of a bill that said don't kill late-term babies that can already survive outside the womb.
And remember, it has been Christianity and its beliefs about human dignity that has helped eradicate injustices all around the world. And it also allowed America to purge the evil of slavery from our country faster than any other country in history, right? We're told that we're systemically evil and racist and we suck as a country because we had the institution of slavery when we were founded and then after we were founded. Yes, like every country ever. That doesn't make us innocent or it doesn't brush off the horrors of American slavery in America. It doesn't do that at all. It just suggests that guess who got rid of it the fastest? We did because we were a country built on what? A Judeo-Christian worldview, right? That understands that natural rights are natural because they come from the creator. So government is instituted among men to protect these rights, to recognize and protect them. They don't, government doesn't create these basic rights. Well, look at that. Look at that. I guess religion did have a lot to do with America and American politics. We were founded on these religious principles. And all of our founders, whether they were born again or not, were all theists. They would have all held to a Judeo-Christian worldview, even if they hadn't completely gone the whole way and repented of their sins to Christ. Many of them were born again, but they recognized that where rights came from, religion was very tied up with the founding of this country. The silly idea of a separation of church and state is simply not historical, right? That You will not find that language in the Constitution. In fact, that was from a letter that was written to the Danbury Baptist Church explaining what the separation of church and state meant, what that idea meant. But that language is not in the Constitution. That idea means that the state should not be requiring adherence to a specific religion. It doesn't mean that the church can't be involved in the state or in crafting policies that reflect their religious worldview. So all of these conflicts are ultimately religious conflicts. And it goes without saying that the Democrats, the registered Democrats who voted against this abortion ban, had they been in the 1950s, probably would have been pro-life MAGA Republicans, right? The Democratic Party wasn't always the party of abortion. It increasingly became that because as the left always does, they pander to people they think, whose votes they think they need. There were a lot of pro-lifers in the Democratic Party prior to Roe versus Wade and even shortly after Roe versus Wade passed legalizing abortion at a federal level. That party has become more and more and more radically pro-abortion, however. My grandparents used to be registered Democrats. But like many Democrats today, they recognized that they didn't leave their party, their party left them. So they became Republicans. And so unfortunately, today's Democrats who vote for abortion are basically completely foreign to the Democratic Party just 30, 40, and certainly 50 years ago. But this has to do with the deteriorating of the worldview and the religion that founded this country. We all have a religious need. We all have a religious hole to fill with something. Christians typically fill that hole with a relationship with God and with religion. But the left creates an idol out of politics, which it treats like a religion in order to protect their greatest sacrament, abortion. And we're seeing this in Louisiana. We're seeing this political and spiritual divide in our country. Louisiana recently passed an amendment to the state constitution to never protect a right to abortion. So according to a New Orleans CBS affiliate on November 4th, 
Louisiana voters decided the state constitution will not protect access to abortions. Amendment one states that nothing in the state's constitution shall be construed to protect the right to an abortion or funding of an abortion. Now, note that nothing about this amendment is going to regulate or ban any of the abortions that can still legally happen in Louisiana, right? It's a predictive move. It's them preparing for the situation in which Roe v. Wade might be overturned. If that happens, the decision over the the legality of abortion goes back to the states. And so Louisiana wants to ensure that if and when that should happen, they will not have any form of abortion practiced or funded in the state of Louisiana. So they're preparing for this possible post-Roe world. And multiple states have moved to pass more pro-life laws. You might remember in 2019, I believe we had some of the most pro-life laws passed at the state level in American history in 2019. And these were passed and crafted in order to present a credible challenge to Roe at the Supreme Court, right? Assuming that we would have the political capital we need on the Supreme Court such that a state law could pose a real federal challenge to Roe versus Wade. So it's tragic that pro-life politicians are recognizing this propitious moment, that something is going on that they want to prepare for, while American evangelicals and Christians are largely asleep at the wheel, claiming silly things like, well, the Republican Party still has an outlawed abortion, even with a Trump presidency, even when they had the House and the Senate, they haven't done enough, so I'm not going to vote for them because of my conscience, right? Yes, The Republican Party is not perfect, but we have to act within our political framework, recognizing political realities on the ground and use those tools that we have in a constitutional republic to act in such a way that promotes righteousness and restrains evil to limit and eventually eradicate the evil of abortion. But many pro-life politicians are recognizing this, right? Churchill once said that there's something going on in time and space and beyond time and space that demands duty, that spells duty. And the church is completely unaware to what is happening in time and space. This is a politically propitious moment. Something is happening. It is. There's an awakening happening in the church right now. We've been seeing massive public outdoor worship and prayer gatherings all across the country, led by Sean Fucht, if I'm pronouncing his last name correctly, previously with Bethel Church, repenting for the national sin of abortion on the Supreme Court steps. I've had more church speaking requests in the last two months than I typically do in an entire year. People are waking up, but a lot of people are still sleeping at the wheel. And that those are the people we need in this fight to end abortion. But politicians are waking up to the fact that something is going on in time and space, and it spells duty for those committed to protecting the natural right to life, liberty, and property. But where is the church? Unfortunately, the left oftentimes believes that the right to abortion is more sacred than Christians believe life is sacred. And American politicians who are pro-abortion, who are honest, will sometimes say the quiet part out loud, right? They'll acknowledge and admit that they view abortion as sacred. You might, might remember ridiculously failed presidential candidate Cory Booker last year, while there were still many Democratic hacks running for president, said at one of their debates that abortion is the most sacrosanct right. That's what he said. The most sacrosanct right. Well, what's sacrosanct? Sacrosanct means sacred. It means this thing is sacred. What's sacred? Sacred is to declare something holy or worthy of worship, 
That's what sacred means. So he's saying that abortion deserves to be worshipped and praised. Of course you think that. Of course you think that. Because you view abortion as the greatest sacrament of the religion of leftism. It must be maintained. It must be worshipped. It must be preserved. And intellectually and spiritually honest pro-aborts admit that abortion is sacred because it's the sacrifice of children to pagan gods. (laughs) Right? I mean, this is gnarly stuff. Honest pro-aborts will admit that abortion is sacred because it entails sacrifice to holy beings, to deities, to those that they view as gods. In fact, Jeanette Paris, a radical pro-abortion author, wrote in 1992 in a book called The Sacrament of Abortion. There it is, okay? The Sacrament of Abortion. Those are not my words. Those are the words of honest, spiritually honest pro-aborts. She said in her book, I have drawn inspiration throughout this book from a guiding image, the Artemis of Greek mythology. And Artemis was the goddess of childbirth. Okay? See how twisted this gets? How sick this gets? Artemis of Greek mythology, the goddess of childbirth, provided the inspiration for a book called The Sacrament of Abortion for someone who views the killing of babies as holy and worship, as sacrifice to pagan deities. She says in her book, it is not immoral to choose abortion. It is simply another kind of morality, a pagan one. (laughs) And she's acknowledging that whatever morality I hold, it does come from what I believe to be an objective standard, a pagan deity, right? Rights have to come from somewhere, I guess. She says, it is time to stop being defensive about it. Time to point an accusatory finger at the other camp and denounce its own immoral stance. She says, abortion is a sacrifice to Artemis. Abortionment is is a sacrament for the gift of life to remain pure. (laughs) Killing babies is a necessary sacrifice to pagan deities in order to purify your own life. Of what? Of the burden of what they call crotch goblins, right? The burden of what they call unwanted children, blobs of tissue, things that will make their life more ugly, right? Such that they might have to take themselves off of the throne of their life and actually sacrifice their life to someone else, a spouse or their children that they created. She says, our culture needs new rituals as well as laws to restore abortion to its sacred dimension, which is both terrible and necessary. Okay, so honest people will admit that abortion is religious. Abortion is sacred, sacrosanct. Because it's the sacrifice of children to pagan gods, to fulfill religious needs, to pursue purity, to improve your own life. We do that through confession of sins, right? Through communion, through baptism, a public confession of our crucifixion with Christ and being raised again, and in community with the saints to improve ourselves, right? To be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Well, recognizing that we won't be perfect yet, but we will seek God's righteousness, seek to promote his righteousness in the culture and share the gospel of grace. For the left, for the left, it's to perfect human nature, right? That's why abortion, that's why Obama once said, you know, the arc of history is long, but it bends towards justice, meaning we're always perfecting ourselves. We're always getting better, that there's a science to the universe and we can somehow perfect human nature, And if killing children and sacrificing them is the cost to perfect ourselves and improve our own lives, then so be it. They become a necessary sacrifice. And by the way, this fits into a specific religion, right? 
there's actually a name to the religion of the left, right? You could call it secular humanism or you could call it Gnostic dualism, right? This is, this is a religious view. But of course, the culture is never going to talk about the left and the pro-choice movement and the Democratic Party as religious. It's only conservatives who will be told to keep their religion out of politics. But these are fundamentally religious ideals and religions. Gnostic dualism suggests that the physical world doesn't matter. It means nothing, right? It's evil. Who cares about the physical world? Gnostic dualism insists that there is a duality between the physical world and the spiritual world. They believe that the spiritual things, like the soul, are all that matters. So our body is just a shell, right? We're just atoms banging around the universe. It doesn't matter what you do with your body. It doesn't matter what you do to the bodies of a baby that you kill. None of this matters. All that matters is our soul. That's the real us. Somewhere in there. So this is why, by the way, they adopt transgender ideology, right? They say that boys who think they're girls are, go are girls because the body is nothing. It doesn't matter that they have male genitalia. It doesn't matter that they have male chromosomes because that's the physical world. None of that matters. It's evil. It's, it's who we feel we are on the inside, right? Our emotions, our desires, our soul. That's all that matters. So the real us is just hidden somewhere inside. But the real us can't be seen. That's why they adopt transgender. This, this is Gnostic dualism, okay? It's a very old religious belief. This is also why they'll say babies are not persons and can be killed. Because the unborn doesn't possess things that make us us. That's the fundamental view of the left, right? They might acknowledge the biological humanity of the unborn child, but what do they deny? Their personhood. They say they're not persons, right? By the way, if anyone ever tells you that, that the unborn is a human but not a person, I want you to ask them what's the difference. I want you to ask them, have you ever met a human that's not a person? Because I haven't, right? But this is the type of language they have to use to justify their position that the unborn is a human but not a person because they believe that the real us, right, our soul, the thing that makes us a person, are based on our consciousness, our feelings, our ability to feel pain, or our self-awareness, all of which they say the unborn doesn't have. So therefore, even though the unborn has a body, and they have arms and legs and a brain and genitalia, and that's a human, that that doesn't matter because that's not the real us. The body doesn't matter. It means nothing, right? So abortion ideology, transgender ideology, these are the type of worldviews and positions they take. And it flows out of secular humanism. It flows out of Gnostic dualism. It flows out of atheism, which denies any objective standard by which we're all beholden to that denies any natural rights that flow from an objective being such as God. So it's just might makes right, right? Because these bodies don't matter. We're just atoms banging around the universe so we can do whatever we want. Abortion has become the poison of our politics because it's made everything about abortion. This is why they hate Amy Coney Barrett. This is why they hated Brett Kavanaugh. This is why they hate anyone that would represent a threat to what they view as their greatest sacrament, abortion. This is why Ruth Bader Ginsburg gets reined in as this religious figure that they sell dolls with and shirts with. They treat her like Catholics treat the saints. Why? Because abortion is their greatest sacrament. And they viewed Ruth Bader Ginsburg as a sort of singular leftist figure holding back the theocracy of pro-life religious men, right? Holding back what would be a Trump theocracy and instituting religious pro-life views because she was on the front lines defending their greatest sacrament. 
These are all purely religious disputes. All human conflict is ultimately theological, as Henry and Edward Manning says. And from a Christian worldview, right, if you're a person of faith, you understand this, right? Scripture tells us that while we are flesh and blood, we don't war against flesh and blood, right? But Ephesians says, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. We understand that the people attacking the unborn are actually serving a different power, right? That pagan deities are in fact just manifestations of the prince or the prince of darkness, right? Satan himself, because if you're a person of faith, you understand that there's just Yahweh one God. So any other person masquerading as a small g God is actually just Satan. So what does this mean for Christians? If you're listening to this, right? What does this mean for your pastor or the people who lead your children's Christian school? These people who I'm maybe, probably, are completely silent on abortion. Well, it means that we are not just engaging with other people who disagree on political debates or questions. We're engaging with people who have given themselves over to demonic ideologies. Because what's more demonic than the killing of a baby? I mean, this is the same thing as child sacrifice in the Old Testament, right? Where God's people, Israel, were teaming up with the Canaanites to sacrifice infants to Molech who they believe they would receive a blessing from in return for in return for the sacrifice of their babies, right? If you want to know how God feels about abortion, read how God talks to his people for their complicity in child sacrifice. And we understood that that was ultimately sacrificing babies to Satan. Remember, Satan is always behind the killing of babies, right? If you're a Christian, if you believe in the Bible, he's the dragon in Revelation waiting to devour baby Jesus right before Mary gives birth. He's behind the killing of babies by Herod, in Jerusalem or Bethlehem and by Pharaoh in Egypt. He's always behind the killing of babies. He's the lion that roars around looking for people to devour. And if he can kill babies because it hurts the church and wounds the heart of God, he's happy to do that. So for Christians that say, we're not political, right? So we don't discuss abortion or activate our congregations to end it. The question is, yeah, but are you spiritual? Are you religious? Are you a Christian? Do you read your Bible? Because if you are, then you understand that abortion is a spiritual issue. It's a fundamental disagreement on the nature of man, on these eternal religious questions. What is man? What are human beings? Are they intrinsically valuable, created in the image of God with intrinsic dignity and rights? Or are they just atoms bouncing around in the universe, morally indistinguishable from polyps and cows? In which case, might makes right. Darwinism. The might will rule, the strong will rule, and the weak will be dead. The weak will be killed. So Poland is fine with eugenic abortions. And hundreds of thousands of people march for the right to kill eugenic babies because we're mighty. We're stronger. Those are the less than. Those are the weak. They should be purged from our midst. This is why Iceland two years ago celebrated eradicating Down syndrome from their civilization. But they didn't. They just kill all babies who are diagnosed with Down syndrome in the womb. All of these things come down to religious assumptions and religious disagreements. So if we are people of faith, then we understand that these are religious disputes, which means the way that we should engage should reflect that knowledge. Yes, we have to engage in human means and political means because abortion is legal and it was legalized through politics. So we must use politics to end it, right? It would have been a moral wrong to say I'm not political in 1850 and allow the institution of slavery. So we must engage in the cultural and political wars presented to us and use political means 
to promote righteousness, as God would have his people do, but we have to recognize that these are religious and spiritual disputes, right? We are ultimately conversing, disagreeing, and fighting with other eternal souls who will themselves one day stand before God. So that should create a little bit of humility of our own standing in the world and also give us the love for our neighbor who would become victims of bad ideas, right? We don't purely want to change people's mind in order to save babies. That's our primary motivation, but also because we want them to abandon the dangerous ideas that they become a victim to ideas, which if they continue defending and celebrating their whole lives may damn them to hell. And they will have to give an account to God, as we all will for all things done, whether good or bad. So if we are religious, if we are spiritual, which we all are, it's just how we seek to fill that hole, then we should seek to end abortion, which is a religious and spiritual issue and is an affront to God. So I just want to finish with that call to the American church, which is it's time to wake up. It's time to get off the bench. It's time to acknowledge that these are religious and spiritual issues that God is very clear on in scripture. And it's time for us to acknowledge the religious and spiritual centrality of these arguments and debates and engage in the political work necessary to protect preborn image bearers from dismemberment, restoring their legal protections and saying that there are consequences to killing human beings in the womb. So don't allow the left to tell you that religion should be kept out of politics. Their religious views are being promoted within the political system with great religious fervor, okay? Don't allow them to tell you there's a separation of church and state. This country was founded on religious ideals by activist preachers and Christians who were seeking to create a country built on the premises that flow from Christianity, natural rights, and the recognition of their source. Church and state means keeping the state out of promoting religion, because that also runs contrary to the ideal of natural rights. If a state is saying, you must repent and adopt Christianity, well, then we have no autonomy to choose to follow God. So all of these ideas run back to a fundamental misunderstanding and debate over natural rights and the recognition of their source, which is a religious debate. So politics equals abortion equals religion. We are trying to fill our hearts, hopefully, with eternal truths and the recognition of the eternal being who came into human history as a fetus in a womb he once created in order to redeem mankind. The left fills that religious need and hole with politics and politicians who they treat as saints in protecting their greatest sacrament, abortion, which enables them to purge the products of reproduction in order to call abortion sexual rights in order to purify their life and live in purely selfish means, even if that means killing a baby, because they're all that matters. The body means nothing. It's just the spirit that matters. And because there is no God and rights that flow from that God, I am my own tiny God. So anything I do is justified because I'm simply pursuing my own pleasure. This is the fundamental religious disagreement in our country. That's what we need you engaged in. That's what we need the church engaged in. And for the soul of this country and the freedom of your children and grandchildren, that's a battle we need to engage on so we can look our descendants in the face and say, I did all I could to protect your rights. Because as Bill Federer says, the most important thing you can do is to preach the gospel and to evangelize. The second most important thing you can do is to make sure you can do the first. And as long as we abandon these religious debates, we will be abandoning the battle to preserve and conserve these natural rights, the first and most important of which 
is life. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Head on over to iTunes and YouTube, Spotify, give the show a rating and review so we can reach more people. Let us know what you think and share it with a friend. If you want to learn more and engage with me online, head on over to sethgruber.com, S-E-T-H-G-R-U-B as in baby boy, E-R.com to sign up for my newsletter. All right, check out my speaking schedule and get more training videos or uh, come hear me speak live and local sometime soon. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you next week. I'm Seth Gruber and this is Unaborted.